Welcome to week six of Unstoppable, Unshakable, Unashamed and Unstoppable. And today we're going to be talking about unstoppable contentment. I love this theme. How in the world can we live a contented life in the society and the culture that we live in today? It seems like it would almost be impossible. It feels like we're in this constant exercise of comparison and somehow um, always wanting more, never thinking we have enough. You know, our house isn't big enough, our car isn't new enough, our clothes aren't stylish enough. Uh, whatever it is, we're just in this state of, um, you know, we, we deserve more, we need more. And our lives just become a race, it seems like, constantly rushing to acquire the next thing that's going to make us happy. And according to a study that was done by the Pew Research Center in 2020, 64% of Americans believe that social media has a mostly negative effect on our society, which I'm sure that we agree with. Only one in 10 felt like social media had a positive effect on our society and the lives that we're living today. But we're bombarded by pictures and posts and advertising that convinces us that we need more and we deserve better. And all this does is it breeds greed and jealousy instead of peace and contentment. Now, that study also revealed that more than half of the people surveyed were specifically troubled by the disinformation, the fake news, and the harassment that is so common on these sites. We see people pitted against each other because of you know, their, their stance on masks or vaccines or politics or racism. There's so much hatred and division that's been brought in. And social media isn't the only culprit, right? We have TV, magazines, billboards, the internet. All these things are bombarding us. And in the 1970s, it was estimated that we would see between 500 and 1,600 of these messages a day. Fast forward to 2021. Can you even believe they are estimating now we see six to 10,000 messages every single day? And it just tells us that we're not good enough, that our life isn't up to par, and that we need whatever they're promoting. And in our day of instant information, we can see the world with all of its problems like generations before us never could. I mean, we see what's going on every second. We see every earthquake, every fire, every shooting. I mean, every would-be reporter out there with a smartphone, right? They, they, they will send it out of everything that's happening. So not only do we have discontent in our own lives, but we have this like global discontent. We're discontent with our leaders. We, we're wondering what's happening to the ozone layer. And what, you know, we hear these wars and rumors of wars. And it seems like our society is just in this constant state of discontent. But even though it's more prevalent today, it's not actually a new phenomenon. And we can tell that by looking in the Bible right away in Genesis. Right? We read about Adam and Eve, and they lived in this perfect garden called Eden that God created just for them. It was an idyllic place. It was safe and secure, and they actually walked and talked with God himself. They lived in his presence. What could be better than that? How could anyone be discontent in that situation? But the enemy of their souls came in, 
and planted that seed of discontent. And we read in Genesis 3, 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Everything that they had in that beautiful garden was suddenly not enough. Even though God had given them access to this amazing food, this pristine garden, this fruit somehow looked better. This tree somehow just called out to Eve and looked lovelier and was like, you need this wisdom. She felt like she had this epiphany, right? Like I think we do sometimes. You know what? I just need to be a little wiser. And so she took the fruit. She did the unthinkable. She directly disobeyed her father, her creator, the only one of love that she knew. She, she disobeyed him. And unfortunately, discontentment has been the lot of mankind ever since. Now, the Israelites also experienced a lot of discontent. They were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And they cried out to God. They said, God, please save us from this agony, this slavery. And God heard their cry, and he sent them a leader to bring them out of captivity, and his name was Moses. But if you know the story of the Israelites, they were not happy with Moses either. They didn't think he was a good enough leader, and they hated being in slavery, but they hated being in the desert even more. And they just couldn't make up their mind. They're like, oh, send us back to Egypt. You know, God provided everything that they needed. He gave them um, a light for the night, and they warmed them, and he gave them manna from heaven. And they complained and said, oh, we'd rather have salad and steak, right? They complained about it. They were never, never happy. And this discontent that they had actually caused them to miss out on entering the promised land. After wandering around for 40 years, God didn't allow them into the promised land because they built idol, a golden calf, and they worshiped another god. And they complained and they were discontent. So only Joshua and Caleb, those were the only two that got to enter the promised land. Wow. The Bible tells us that contentment with godliness is great gain. But as we look at the world around us, it seems like the deck is just stacked against us. What would a contented life even look like? Is it even attainable? Well, the Bible gives many, many scriptures that say that a contented life is what God wants us to live. And we're told that contentment is the key to peace and happiness and strong relationships. It's obviously critical to the life of godliness that God wants us to live. Now, contentment just means being satisfied with what you have who you are, and where you are. It's respecting the reality of the present while trusting your future into the hands of the God who loves you. The Bible calls us to focus on our convictions and not our circumstances, believing that Jesus' power and his purpose and provision are sufficient for every circumstance. It's learning to walk through that adversity, resting on God's good promises despite what is going on around us. So I believe that true contentment is found in three fundamental principles, and they are trusting, resting, and thanking. First of all, it's impossible to live a contented life if we don't trust God. 
All of our striving in the world will not bring that to reality. But what we have to do is be in that relationship with him. When we're walking hand in hand with him, when we're spending time, we've talked about this so much, abiding in the Lord. When we're spending time in his word and in worship and just waiting on him. Now, many of us are held captive by a false um, identity of who we are. Maybe you were told growing up, you know, you were told lies that you'll never amount to anything or you're unworthy, you're unforgivable. And you may believe these false lies. And if you do, you're going to stay in that place of believing that's who you are when it's not. And you'll just be right outside of that grasp of contentment. But if we actually believe that he is who he says he is, a God full of mercy and grace, unending forgiveness. He'll never leave us or forsake us. His, he forgives us as far as the east is from the west. If we believe that he says who he is, then we have to believe that we are who he says we are. I hope that made sense. <laughs> we are who he says we are. And this is what he says we are. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you are a new creation. Romans 8.37, you are more than a conqueror. Romans 8.38, you cannot be separated from his love. Romans 8.30, you are thoroughly justified before him, meaning just as if you'd never sinned. Romans 8.1 says you are free from condemnation. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says you are sanctified, holy, and set apart. 2 Corinthians 5.21, you are the righteousness of God. Ephesians 1.4, you are chosen and blameless. Ephesians 2.6, you are seated in heavenly places. Ephesians 2.10, you are God's workmanship, handcrafted to do good works. And James 1.22, you are a doer of the word. You are all those things that God says you are. We are his daughters, and in his word he makes it pretty clear that all that is his is also ours, because we are heirs. Every need we have will be provided, every call will be answered, and he will be our shield and our defender. Whatever comes across our path, he is with us. Once we settle that in our hearts, it's hard to be discontent when we really know who we are in him. Now the second principle for building contentment is resting. And we live in a pretty crazy world. <laughs> And resting isn't really even in our vocabulary. We are strong, we're independent, and being crazy busy is sometimes seen as a badge of honor. But that's not the way God intended our lives to be. Psalm 37, 7 says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Not only is our constantly rushing from one thing to the next and overloading our plates, never stopping to take a breath, unhealthy for our bodies, it's also unhealthy for our spiritual life as well. And living like this keeps us focused on our circumstances, how we're gonna deal with the next problem, how do we solve it? And this just opens the door for the enemy to come in and bring that discontent. But the Lord says he wants us to, he wants us to rest in his perfect peace. One of my favorite verses, I say it all the time, Isaiah 26, three, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So true. Now that perfect peace is a quiet calm.
calm that God gives to those who love and trust and obey him regardless of what's going on around them. Trusting God, as we've already discussed, is only possible when we come to recognize who he really is. Believing in his sovereignty, believing that he is in control. Our lives are his and we belong to him and we can believe that he has our best interests at heart. I think we don't believe that sometimes. I think we believe we know the right way, but he doesn't have our best interests. He wants us to suffer so that we can grow, or we believe these wrong thoughts. He only wants what's best for us. And Romans 8, 28 says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And in the Greek, that phrase called according to his purpose, it, it could also be said divinely selected to be set forth for public view. If you think about that, it's saying once you became a Christ follower, we are now on display for others to see. It's, it's a great responsibility, but it's also a privilege. We want others to see God's glory through us. And in our chaotic 21st century lives, there's another word that we don't talk about often, and that's surrender. We've been conditioned to strive for independence, to learn to fend for ourselves, to take care of ourselves, to solve our own problems, and sometimes the stress of that just adds to our discontentment and stress and anxiety. The world wants us to believe that we must be strong, but Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that he was strongest when he was at his weakest. And that same world tells us that we need to be independent, but God says we are to lean on him. Cease our striving and just depend on him. And when we release our burdens and we surrender our will to his, we can truly be at rest. And as we spend time with him, enjoying him, immersing ourselves in his word, we realize that the world offers distraction and temptation, but he offers rest and contentment. 17th century author Jeremy Burroughs wrote that contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely surrenders to and delights in God's wise and fatherly authority in every condition. When do you have that sweet, inward, quiet delight in your soul? When do you feel most contented? I know for me, I feel so much contentment when I'm worshiping. That's, it's obvious, God created us to worship him. So when we're in that state of worship, we're gonna be so contented because we were made to worship him. I love worshiping. I do it every day. And I was driving home from my mom's the other day and I had on um, this, uh, it's a newer song, but it's um, Might Get Loud by um, Elevation. Oh my goodness. I was singing, so I was like screaming in my car and I was playing the drums and I know all the cars passing me were kind of like, oh, don't look, don't look, she's crazy. But it was just talking about, you know what? We can get loud. Like, why can't I praise him as loud as I want? And it was just, um, and I was just, my soul was just so contented because I'm like, I'm praising God and that's what we were created to do. And another, another time when, when I just went up to see my mom, um, she's in assisted living 
And I, I was driving up there and I called her. I said, hey, I'm on my way. And she said, oh, you need to get here um, by two o'clock because the musician is coming today. And so once a month they get a guest musician that comes. And so thankfully I made it just in time. And I went upstairs and there was probably 20 or 25 um, 80 to 100 year olds um, in this room and they were listening to um, this little guy that came in with his guitar and he was singing 50s music and it was just so fun to sit there with my mom and listen to these and just to see the smile on her face well then guess what he called us to get up and dance so here is me and my mom we're doing, we're doing the jitterbug, and she's like, twirl me, twirl me. So I'm, you know, I'm twirling her, and I literally just brought tears to my eyes. I'm like, there is no place in the world I would rather be right now in this moment than just enjoying this sweet moment with my mom. And I'm just like, God, thank you. Just that feeling of contentment, and it is so beautiful. And it's just a memory that I'll never forget. He's so good. And we just need to take rest in those moments and just enjoy them. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Exodus 33.14, And he said, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. If you need rest, ask him for it. Take that time out just to listen to his voice. And finally, the third principle is thanking or better said, gratitude, but that didn't fit in with the INGs, so. Um, gratitude is the, defined as the quality of being thankful, readiness to show appreciation, and to return kindness. The word gratitude appears over 170 times in the Bible, depending on the translation, and it's a quality that often distinguishes the believer from others, if you think about that. During times of difficulty, it can be so challenging to react with thankfulness. But as those who are trusting in the faithfulness of our God, resting in the knowledge of his loving sovereignty, our reactions can set us apart from those who live without hope. Now, Mark Batterson is um, an author and a pastor, and he said that it's easier to act like a Christian than it is to react like a Christian. So true, isn't it? What comes out of you in those moments of challenge? That's what's in your heart. It says out of the mouth, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So thinking thankful thoughts is so beneficial. It'll help us with our reactions. And it's also proven that it increases the production of dopamine in our brains, which floods us with pleasant euphoric feelings that dopamine does and the more dopamine your brains produce the more they want so being grateful is actually a self-perpetuating state isn't that great and living a contented life is impossible without it gratitude can be seen like a suit of armor that protects us from the temptation to be discontent if we fill our minds with thoughts of the greatness of God and all that he has done for us then there's no room for that negative trap that the enemy would lead us into. Now, for some of us, gratitude might need an attitude shift. But the good news is, it can be cultivated. It's not like you have gratitude or you don't. You can cultivate gratitude 
We all can do it. And if this is something you struggle in, you know, do, do a, like a thankfulness um, journal. Write down the end of every day all the amazing things. And if you can't think of anything, um, hello, you're breathing, right? God gives us breath every single day. There's a million things to be thankful for. But we can cultivate that in our lives. Maybe have a, a gratitude partner that you stay accountable with and say, hey, if you tend to be a, a more glass half empty person, get yourself a partner and be like, you know what? I want to be accountable to you. I want to tell you all the things that I'm grateful for this week or whenever you want to get together with that person. But you can do, you can, you can create that gratitude culture in your life. And the experts tell us that as we do this, our lives will be changed. Not only will we be more pleasant to be around, but we will deepen our relationship with the Lord. And that resting becomes a permanent state, that, that contentment, that gratitude and resting will become a permanent state. And it also helps us with health benefits. Those that have cultivated gratitude have developed, this is proven that they have developed stronger immune systems, they feel less joint pain, they've lowered their blood pressure, they've felt more alert and awake after sleeping better, they've become more compassionate and overall less lonely. Those are amazing things. And clearly the writer of Psalm 103 knew about these things when he wrote, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, and redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen. Now, it's important when we're talking about contentment that we distinguish between our wants and our needs. Contentment has very little to do with having what we want and more to do with wanting what we have. Suddenly we may find ourselves wanting less and just grateful to live with what God has already provided, with, provided to us. And as we learn to distinguish between the two, the stress of wanting more just seems to disappear and we're free to be happy just in our now, in, in whatever situation we're in right now. Now, being content in our circumstances is not the same as being content with our circumstances. It's never God's desire for you to stay in a negative and unhealthy or abusive relationship. And taking steps to get out of that does not mean you're discontent. It just means you're in a harmful situation. And we can accept those conditions and thank God for him being with us in those conditions but he never wants us to stay there. So just know that it's not mutually exclusive working to be content in your situation if you're in a harmful situation. Now many of the New Testament references to contentment are found in the writings of Paul and it's amazing because he endured an extremely hard life. I mean, we've, we've read about Paul and his situations. He was stoned, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was imprisoned. And he still is the largest proponent of the importance of contentment. In Philippians 4, 12 and 13, it says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. 
It's interesting that verse we quote a lot of times, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But were you aware of what was preceding that, of Paul's hardships, but saying, I'm content in everything? When Paul wrote these words, he was actually in a Roman prison, and it was not his first arrest where he was allowed to live in a rented home, his friends could come and go. No, he was in prison, and before he was sentenced, they would be in this large stone room that was packed full of people. There was no ventilation, no sanitation. And then once you were sentenced, what they would do is they would lower you down into a dungeon where it was completely dark and damp, and rat infested and you would wait there to die so that is literally where Paul is writing that letter in those circumstances amazing so like Paul we have the power to live a contented life because we're not enslaved to our circumstances our lives are hidden with Christ in God and rooted in dependence on him we know that our God is trustworthy and faithful and he loves us with an extravagant love. Our hearts can overflow with gratitude for all that he has done, all that he's doing, and all that he will do in us. So I'm going to leave you with one more quote from Jeremiah Burroughs when he said, There is no work which God has made, the sun, moon, stars, and all the world, in which so much of the glory of God appears as in man who lives contentedly in the midst of all his circumstances. Amen. Lord, I thank you so much for this word to us today, God. I pray that you would help us to live contented lives, God, wanting what we have, God, not wanting what we don't have. God, we are so blessed, and I just pray you would help us to be thankful and to rest and to trust in you, God. You're so good. In Jesus' name, amen.